This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the March 13th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt. I'm doing great. Um, had a fun race at Phoenix last weekend. It was it was definitely competitive, and uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to watch. And then this weekend is Auto Club Speedway. I know we talked about uh, how I might be going to it. I think I've decided to not go to it. Uh, I want to give myself a chance to watch some of the college basketball, so uh, I'm deciding not to go to Auto Club this weekend. Well, it's going to ruin my my. Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE and get iPhone XR on us. If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service, and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs, zero down, plus 3125 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price, $749.99, 0% APR. One offer per account. Over under prop on this. Yeah, I, I actually just did it just to uh, ruin your bet there. Yeah. Uh, well, I just lost millions of hypothetical dollars. Um, okay, let's talk about it's. It's a good. I mean, it's a good time of the of the year. Like spring training with baseball is going on. Uh, NASCAR is going on. March Madness. It's uh, a yep. you know basketball is starting to like enter that final stretch of games for NBA. It's like it's a good time. And NASCAR. Yeah, well, obviously NASCAR. Uh, okay, let's talk. Let's talk about the race at Phoenix. The race was very intense. There were multiple race leaders, according to the outline that you've provided for me to read. Uh, there was a three-way battle for the lead for about 20 laps, and ultimately a pass for the lead that wasn't actually for the lead when Kevin Harvick passed Chase Elliott for second place, while Ryan Newman had yet to make his final pit stop. Harvick held on to capture his third straight checkered flag over Kyle Busch who was in second and Elliott in third. Nick, you played uh, some NASCAR DFS this weekend, and uh, you placed 
you placed fourth out of 157 entrants in the $333 buy-in three wide contest. Uh, 44th place also uh, cashing $2,500 in that contest. Talk about your lineup. Yeah, so it was a it was a fun contest. Um, I uh, placed five, did five entries into that contest. So I was in for uh, you know about sixteen hundred something dollars and uh, cashed out for twenty five hundred in that contest. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I was in second place all the way up until the very bitter end of the uh, the contest with about I guess it was ten or twelve laps remaining. Um, Ty Dillon had some sort of issue i don't know what it was but he dropped a couple places and that uh, dropped me from second to fourth uh second place would have paid out six thousand dollars so instead of fourth place paid out two thousand dollars but uh still made a nice profit in that contest um my cash game lineup though was really the big reason why i only ended up profiting a couple hundred bucks on the day my cash game lineup wasn't the best but as far as my fourth place lineup in the three wide uh, i let it off with kevin harvick of course uh, i thought that was he was the best play. And then I was all over Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott posted the best 10-lap, 15-lap, and 20-lap average of all the drivers other than Kevin Harvick. So I figured he had the second-strongest car. Um, turns out he probably ended up having the third-strongest car. Kyle Busch had the second-strongest car. And he was part of that three-way battle for the lead for about 20 laps there with Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. Kyle Busch ended up finishing second, led 128 laps. was a very nice contrarian dominator uh, and uh, – Unfortunately, I only played him in one of my five uh, lineups there, and he was about 20% owned, so I didn't have any positive or negative leverage on Kyle Busch. I was almost dead equal weight to the field there on Kyle Busch. Um, so those were my three like top-tier drivers, dominators, and that left me with some bare-bones uh, drivers. And So I played Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for $7,100. He was kind of an easy play, a safe play, started 29th. Um, you know, we knew he had a better car than a 29th place car. He ended up finishing 23rd. So not what we've seen out of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at Phoenix as in the past, but he was still a safe play. And in these large, or sorry, in these small fields, large buy-in small fields, it's okay to go a little more, uh, with safety, um, because you don't need as high of a score usually to win the GPP. So I played Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, played Ty Dillon, as I mentioned, and he had some kind of problem there at the end. He didn't have a great day anyway. I think he was in like 27th place, uh, and then he, fell from 27th to 30th um, there in the past, in the last 10 or 12 laps or so. Um, just not a very good day for Ty Dillon, but he did start 28th. He did practice faster than his qualifying position. So I think his 10 lap average was 24th um, or 26th, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, so overall, I guess he was kind of positive on the day up until the very end. Um, but uh, yeah, that cost me about that little swing there at the end cost me about 4K. And then I rounded out with everybody's uh, top-tier number one driver, Ross Chastain. Uh, he was 5.7% owned, um, and he was literally just a bare-bones play. He was $4,600, started 36th out of the 37 cars, so he mostly only had upwards to go. But you look at his final practice times, and he actually practiced uh, about three or four spots better than his qualifying position. So that was the reason I decided to use Ross Chastain. Um, and yes, yeah, so that was my fourth place uh, lineup there in the three wide. Okay. So in the weekly article that you do, uh, you picked Arc Almarola as a GPP play. And you also talked about Clint Boyer. Uh, they both ended up in the winning GPP lineup. Uh, overall road of his readers had a really nice day. Multiple subscribers placed inside the top 10 in the $400,000 GPP. Uh, give us a breakdown of the winning lineup. Yeah. So the winning lineup uh, definitely had some contrarian plays, some interesting plays. 
Um, so there's four drivers that I really talked a lot about in this winning lineup. One was Kevin Hark, of course, who uh, led 38 laps, 56 fastest laps, and had the race win there. Obviously had the best car uh, three times. He's won in a row now. Uh, Atlanta. Then uh, what was after Atlanta? I can't even remember. Las Vegas. I was at the race. And then uh, I blocked that one out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then uh, Auto Club. Sorry, uh, Phoenix. We're going to Auto Club this weekend. So Kevin Harvick, three wins in a row. Kyle Busch finished second, uh, led 128 laps. So those two are the same. Um, I did write up Eric Almirola. I thought he was a great play. He had the third best 10 and 15 lap average in final practice. Uh, normally, this type of track isn't super great for him. Um, which is why, of course, he showed up a little worse in the models. Plus, also, he did have worse equipment last year. So I was on Road of His Live. Remember, I told you guys, probably bump him up a, a few places in the model and in the sim scores. If you did that, you know, his ceiling was right around an eighth or a seventh place finish. So he kind of hit his ceiling there, Eric Almirola. And I loved him, wrote him up as a GPP play there. Um, Clint Boyer did not write up as a GPP play, but I did talk a lot about him on Road of His Live um, when people asked me for my Pulmonard pick of the week, which is, uh, you know, my just essentially like my favorite low owned contrarian play. I did mention that Clint Boyer was one of the potential candidates for that. Um, I settled on a couple different guys and Clint Boyer was one of them. So very nice play. Clint Boyer, he started 19th, but, uh, his practice times were 14th and single lap and 14th and 10 lap average. And he is very good at these, uh, short flat tracks and just the uh, flat tracks in general. So that, bumps him up even better than his 14th place practice times, you know, puts him right around a top eight or eight to 12, I would say normally. And uh, he ended up finishing six. So exceeded his expectations a little bit, but he did have a nice ceiling per the sim score app. So uh, Clint Boyer was a very good play as well. The other two are the sneaky two contrarian plays that um, let people win, uh, you know, this, this massive field contest. And that's William Byron. He started 11th and finished 12th. Um, but the thing he got from him was just salary relief, $6,900. Uh, he also ended up leading 15 laps and scoring six fastest laps because of Pitt's strategy. Whereas if you look at guys like Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who was $7,100, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did not lead any laps and uh, didn't pick up many fastest laps either. So um, wasn't a great day for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He had four fastest laps, 29 DraftKings points, whereas you look at uh, William Byron, 37.75 DraftKings points at a much cheaper price. Finished way higher than Stenhouse as well. So that was a great pivot off of Stenhouse was to William Byron. And then uh, Matt Benedetto scored you 24 DraftKings points uh, at a very nice cheap salary of $4,900 as well. Uh, he started 30th and finished 25th. So instead of using you know somebody like Ross Chastain or DJ Kennington, uh, Matt Benedetto did end up actually being uh, the winning play there in uh, – in the, the massive beast $400,000 GPP. But it was great to see a lot of, rid of his readers right at the top, thanks to the Eric Almiral and Clint Boyer plays there. Uh, and then uh, Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, that was kind of the key to, to victory this weekend. Can you talk a little bit more about Clint Boyer and uh, the, the process that led you to him? Yeah, um, so we talked about um, at least like his practice times being faster than his qualifying positions, right? So he started 19th, finished 14th, uh, or practice 14th, I should say, both in the single lap and the long run. The thing I think that people get caught up in too much is focusing so much on practice times because there are other things. If practice time is the only thing that mattered, that would be the only thing that showed up in the model. But there are other things that matter as well. And for me, Clint Boyer, uh, really noticing his flat track history relative to his price, relative to his starting position, um, stood out to me and the model, uh, the, the ownership model thought he was going to be pretty low owned. 
uh, around 13%. He ended up being 12% owned in the beast. That was pretty much spot on there. Just led me to say, you know, this guy, if you look at the sim scores for him, I think he had, uh, I think he had just a, a really nice sim score ceiling. Um, so did Ryan Newman, but uh, the two of them had really nice sim score ceilings, very good flat track history. So both Clint Boyer and Ryan Newman were guys I got on a little bit more uh, as the weekend went on. So we kind of evaluated things. So Clint Boyer had a ceiling finish of around nine, um, but has a great, you know, like I said, great flat track history. He basically hit his ceiling there, um, and it's around a 15% outcome to hit your ceiling. It's even less of a chance to, uh, you know, beat your ceiling as he did by a couple places. So I thought his ownership percentage was basically spot on, but uh, I still like to get a little leverage on him anyway because uh, his price tag was pretty good. It was only $8,200, whereas you, you know. Compared to Eric Jones or Kurt Busch, $8,300, $8,600. I thought he had the same upside for a couple hundred dollars cheaper there. So um, that's why I ended up getting on Clint Boyer. And, I mean, if you go scrolling through these lineups, we talked about how uh, it was, you know, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Eric Almarola, and Clint Boyer. They also showed up in the – so it was a tie for first. They also showed up in the third-place lineup, and they also showed up in the fourth-place lineup. So really, as long as you nailed those four drivers uh, and then just picked two other drivers who had a decent day – uh, Ross Chastain and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. ended up in the fourth place lineup. So two, two drivers that were in my uh, lineup from from the $333 buy-in. Uh, that lineup was actually two Rotoviz readers there who tied for fourth place. So um, that was pretty awesome for them. They each pocketed $7,500 uh, for their fourth place finishes. So not bad for an $8 entry. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum, where more happens. Okay, uh, let's continue to think about Phoenix just a little bit longer from a DFS perspective. Uh, it was the first uh, one-mile track of the season in the first uh, flat track of the season. Anything we can take away from that and apply forward? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. First, um, obviously the Chevys performed much better this weekend, and so that was nice to see. Uh, the question is, is it a function of the track? Is it a function of it you know, being a shorter one-mile oval? Is it a function of Chevy got better in general everywhere? We don't know that yet, but it was encouraging to see that the, the Chevys, you know, uh, I guess, held their own. Chase Elliott had a chance for the win there. Um, you know, we saw... William Byron pull off a 12th place finish, things like that. Kyle Larson led for a little while before his car ended up developing some problems. So um, the Chevys, I wouldn't say they're back, but they definitely were more competitive. Uh, that said, the top 10 was composed of all four Stuart Haas cars, all four Joe Gibbs cars, and then two other cars inside the top 10. So uh, still a long way to go for the Chevys in general. Um, and I think that's kind of the second takeaway is even though they improved, I think they're still a little bit behind. Um, but uh you know, going to a bigger track like Auto Club Speedway now, you can't translate a whole lot from Phoenix to Auto Club. But I think going forward on the shorter tracks, the flat tracks, um, this is definitely something we can that we can use. That you know, it's encouraging for the Chevys. They should continue to improve as they learn more and more about the car. And after Auto Club Speedway, the next race is another short flat track at Martinsville, where historically Chevys have performed very well. We remember 
Jimmy Johnson's dominance at Martinsville. He's won, I can't count how many grandfather clocks. It must have been a pain for him uh, in daylight savings time to switch all those forward. Uh, Jeff Gordon was a Martinsville dominator for many years. Um, Kevin Harvick back when he was in the Chevy, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, so Chevys do tend to perform very well at Martinsville. And if they continue to improve here, plus their Martinsville history notes, I think they could have a great race at Martinsville in two weeks. A race almost as great as that joke that you made about the grandfather clocks. Yeah, I actually stole that one from Twitter. Yeah, I I would hope that uh, you wouldn't, on your own, come up with something that horrible. Well, um, yeah, but uh, I kind of just had to throw it out there because <laughs> I, I like horrible jokes. Right, uh, I do too. Uh, okay, so I, I, I should do the plug right now. I'm going to do the plug. More yeah, to talk should. about. I threw, you, I threw you off right there, didn't I? Uh, it doesn't help that I'm, I'm tired. It's, it's such a busy time of year. Like we're editing so many pieces right now. Uh, with a lot March of March madness. madness. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, right after this, I'm heading over to the casino to place my bets. So <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, okay. We're going to be talking about the piece that you did at the action network before that. I want to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Okay, Nick, each week you do the uh, the, the best bets to win. Uh, you do that piece for the Action Network. Uh, this last week, I thought it was a good piece. You had, uh, you had some good bets in there. Talk about how you did. Yeah, well, um, it was kind of funny because Kevin Harvick obviously skewed the whole uh, everything, all the bets um, to win just because he was such a – Super, super heavy favorite. I think he actually ended up setting like a record or something for uh, closing line favorite to win. Um, but uh, if you were, if you did shop around and you got in a little earlier, you were able to get Kevin Harvick around plus 225 to win. Um, and I wrote up in there, I wouldn't just straight up bet him at plus 225. I mean, I didn't bet him the last two races at plus, what was it, 500 and plus 400 as well, because I thought those odds were really short. But what I did say is if you want to parlay him with one of your favorite uh prop bets, uh, either a head-to-head or a finishing position prop, that is a good way to splash a little bit down on something that's super chalky, and then all you have to do is hit essentially what is a, amounts to a 50-50 prop, but knowing we have all these Rotoviz tools, we can find a lot of edge in these 50-50 props, um, so that's a great way to uh, to cash out uh, you know, on a, on a super heavy favorite like Kevin Harvick in, in a weekend where um, you know the lines are just like either super short like Kevin Harvick was or really long odds. And so I also wrote up Chase Elliott. He did finish third. He uh, was leading after the final sequence of pit stops other than Ryan Newman and uh, I think it was Kyle Busch who hadn't pitted yet. But uh, he would have inherited the lead after Ryan Newman and Kyle Busch – or not Kyle Busch, uh, Brad Keselowski is what I meant to say. After Ryan Newman and Keselowski pitted, he would have inherited the lead, but Harvick did end up passing him. And then Kyle Busch got by him one more. But uh, I did like Chase Elliott at plus 600, just given how good his car was. Uh, I think, though, maybe we still have to consider the fact that the Chevys could be just a touch behind. But uh, still like that bet finishing third. And then I took Alex Bowman, who was a really long shot at plus 4,400. Didn't have a great day. Um, He had an issue kind of right off of the bat uh, with a penalty. And so... Um, not a great day for Alex Bowman, but at 4,400, long shot. I don't mind that given uh, what the upside was for him there, especially starting in the top five, top five practice times, top five long run speed. So 
Definitely don't hate that. And remember, he dominated the Phoenix race two years ago, uh, leading about 56% of the laps. So at 44 to one, I don't, I don't dislike that play whatsoever. You're just only, you know, you're really hoping to just get lucky there and hit with a small bet there. Yeah, and uh, I was three and zero on my props, so pretty, pretty pleased yeah. about that. I, I'm, I'm like going to retire said, after that that record. Like I said, parlay Harvick with uh, any of your prop bets, and uh, you you have an edge there. But yeah, yeah three for three. I mean. What were yours? You had Eric Almarola versus Ryan Blaney, right? That was like even money. Yeah, that was nice. that was a, that was a no brainer. How yeah. can you not take that? Yeah. Uh, and then what were the other two? Uh, Busher over Dylan, which just sneaked it out. He finished. Yeah, that's just because ahead of the of uh, that's yeah. because of the Dylan problem late there. Yeah, so got got a little lucky on that one. And then Eric Jones over Joey Logano. I thought that was a no brainer as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, but uh, Logano was favored, you know. And, yeah. And Dylan yeah. was favored too, so you know. There you go. Made some money. Yeah, it turned out pretty good. Uh, Okay, let's focus. Auto Club Speedway. It is a two-mile D-shaped oval uh, like Atlanta. It has an old surface, so high tire wear. Uh, Talk about the racing that we we normally see at Auto Club Speedway and uh, how it is different from the racing at Atlanta. Yeah, so Auto Club Speedway, um, as you mentioned, two-mile D-shaped oval. Its sister track is Michigan Speedway. Um, it, with Michigan Speedway has lower tire wear, so it's a little harder to get like speed differential just because everybody, uh, you know, is kind of on the same tire strategy. Usually at Michigan, you get a little more air dependency at Michigan, uh, and so tends to be a little harder to pass at Michigan. Although it is a very wide track, whereas Auto Club Speedway, very wide track. Um, and it's easier to pass as long as you have different tires, right? Uh, if you, if you have new tires versus old tires, super easy to pass. But, uh, if you're on the same tire, it is still kind of in a way like Michigan that people are just kind of riding on eggshells and, uh, not, not in Michigan, but like in just in general that, um, you know, they, they're kind of all going the same speed. Uh, but it's really about managing your tires, just like Atlanta, managing your tires. The difference between Atlanta and Auto Club, just like we talked about the difference between Michigan and Auto Club, difference between Atlanta and Auto Club, it's just the fact that Auto Club is bigger. So two miles, it's wider, really wide. Uh, and so what that does is it places a little more premium on aerodynamics than Atlanta. Atlanta, you, you're going to get very few crashes there at Atlanta just because the driver's driving on eggshells they're taking it super easy into the corners and it's really hard for the car to snap around aerodynamically when it's going 150 miles an hour to the corner through the corner versus 175 miles an hour through the corner um and so auto club you'll see the higher speeds you'll see more separation of teams just because horsepower matters more uh, than you will in atlanta so a car that might be able to you know, maybe a mid-pack car that might be able to hang around on the lead lap um uh, you know, somebody like, a, let's say, a Michael McDowell or David Reagan or something like that, that type of lower tier mid pack or upper tier, like cheap tier, um, they they probably could hang around Atlanta, maybe uh, make it to the end of the stage or whatever. At Auto Club, well, the track is bigger, um, but uh, they might have a little more of a horsepower or a, an aerodynamic disadvantage. So you do see more separation there. You don't see as much as you see at Michigan where um, tires matter less, but uh, you will see a separation of speeds at Auto Club Speedway just because you have um, so much differential in, in, in uh, the cars here because of the higher speeds that we run at Auto Club versus Atlanta. Okay, what are some of the key stats uh, that you are looking at for Auto Club to gauge driver performance? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one because uh, it is it, it, there's a few stats in here that we definitely want to look for. One of them is the 10-lap average, and, of course, that 
always makes sense when you have really long uh, or really high tire wear. Um, you know, how, how well do these cars perform over the long run? How much time are you losing over 5, 10, 15, 20 laps? That is super important. The one thing about the 10-lap average is it not all the cars, because it's a two-mile track, um, not all the teams actually end up running 10-lap averages. It's a lot easier to run 10 laps at a one-mile track than 10 laps at a two-mile track because it's 40 miles versus, you know, or sorry, 20 miles versus 10 miles. Uh, so you see fewer teams actually run 10-lap averages here. So what do you do in that case when you have a bunch of drivers that don't run 10-lap averages? Well, there's a couple things. You could look at five lap if we do get those times uh, from either TV or tweeted out. Um, the other thing you could do is what I like to do is, is what I call the combined practice average. And that's taking the top speed on the single lap from all of the practice sessions, averaging them together and then ranking them. And then saying if they don't have a 10 lap, use their combined lap ranking. Uh, and that kind of gives you, it doesn't really give you a picture of the long run, but at least gives you an idea of if the car has been consistent from session to session to session in terms of top speed. And that does show up as significant in the model. So we prefer 10 lap. If we don't have that information, then you have to go with combined uh, practice session average. Um, and so, again, that's averaging each of the practice session speeds and then ranking the drivers based off their top single lap speeds in each of the practice sessions. So that's the one that stands out the most. If I build um, 30 different models, that shows up in all 30 models of the top 30 possible models. So super important stat there is how you practice at Autoclip Speedway. Next most important stat is how have you done uh, lately? So again, we talked about you know, last 18 or last 15 driver rating, these types of things. We're at the point in the season where we have enough information this year that we're at 50-50 this year versus last year. So take the last eight races. We have four this year, four last year, uh, the, you know, the, the final four races from last year, which includes uh, Homestead and then the three from the, the final round of the chase or the playoffs there last year. Uh, and take that driver rating as well as the quality pass percentage, and those go into the model this week. Um, so just the driver's last eight races, and that gives a lot more weight to guys like Kevin Harvick, who've crushed this year, obviously, uh, or drivers who are on new teams, better equipment or worse equipment. It, it's pulling them up or down a little more than going back like eight, 15 or 18 races. Um, I threw in the 15, I threw in the 18, I threw in the 12, the eight is what showed up as most significant. Um, and I just picked those numbers, but I could tweak it to nine or seven or six or five or 12 or 11 or whatever but eight showed up as the most significant. So essentially we're at 50-50 now this year versus last year. The final thing that shows up in the model is what have you done in terms of dominating at the large ovals? So the large ovals include the mile and a half that we've talked about, you know, Atlanta, uh, Texas, Kansas, Vegas, et cetera, but also the two-mile ovals of Michigan and Auto Club Speedway. What have you done over the last eight large oval races in terms of dominator performance, fastest laps and laps led um, those show up in the model as well. So recap that practice speed, uh, long run, preferably, if not use the the combined top speed from all the practice sessions, last eight races of driver rating and quality pass percentage, and then large oval dominance. How predictive is the model for Auto Club Speedway? So you, you have this process where you, you create different models and, and you look for the factors across all of them that uh, are, are in common, but how predictive is this, is the model? Yeah, so Auto Club Speedway is like Atlanta in that it's one of the low predictable uh, tracks outside of the restrictor plates and the road courses and Martinsville and Bristol. Those are all like the super special tracks. You got the two road restrictor plate tracks, you got the two road courses, well now three this year with the Charlotte Roval, and then um, you also have uh, 
Bristol and Martinsville, which are like your super short half mile tracks where a lot of crashing happens. Outside of those tracks, Auto Club and Atlanta are the two least predictable tracks. Uh, Auto Club Speedway, the model this weekend, right now the R squared is about 0.49. And normally we're talking in the 0.5, 0.55, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.65 range even. Remember, Phoenix last weekend was around 0.65. So much less predictable. Part of it is the fact that it shows up earlier in the year. Uh, yes, Phoenix does show up earlier in the year as well, but it's just a more predictable track. And the second Phoenix race is much more predictable than the first Phoenix race because we have a lot more information uh, of how teams are doing late in the season than early in the season. Uh, so part of it's being early in the season. Part of it's being a high tire wear track with a lot of variability because of the, the high tire wear, the different strategies that we get. We often see a lot of strategy at Fontana or Auto Club, as it's called, uh, and we often see – uh, some blown tires as well. Remember, Kyle Busch was about to win the race a couple of years ago, blew a tire, cost me like uh, $20,000 or something on like the last lap or second to last lap of the race. So definitely an unpredictable track, relatively speaking, to the other ones. But it, we can still predict about half of the variance in finishing position from the factors in the model. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay. The top tier drivers, who are the guys who are hitting on those factors in the model that you've highlighted? Well, uh, I think we all know where to start. That is going to be Kevin Harvick this weekend. Um, he has the highest driver rating over the last eight races. If we just uh, limit it to the large oval history, he has the highest driver rating as well. So even ahead of Martin Truex Jr., his average finish at just the large ovals, the last eight large ovals, is 4.9. Yes, Martin Truex Jr.'s is 2.1, but Kevin Harvick's is 4.9. He's right there. And his average running position has been better than Truex's, 3.5 versus 5.8. Average running position, more predictive than average finishing position. He's also led 28% of the laps. So we talked about large oval dominance is the factor He's led 28% of the laps compared to 26 for Truex uh, in the large oval history there, the recent history for large ovals. Uh, so give the nod to Kevin Harvick over Martin Truex Jr. We'll have to see where the pricing shakes out. But uh, right now, I certainly would take Harvick over Truex. Uh, if you want to go down a little bit further, um, Kyle Busch is third in large oval uh, dominance. And then Denny Hamlin and uh, Brad Keselowski are are kind of tied for fourth in large oval dominance. But if we want to pull in all the races and then look at all the races driver rating, uh, Denny Hamlin actually gets the nod slightly over Brad Keselowski in driver rating. So uh, if there's a price discrepancy between Hamlin and Keselowski, that might be something we can exploit early on in this week. But really the top tier drivers, Harvick, Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski show up in all the different categories there that we're looking for the last eight races overall of driver rating. 
and uh, also dominance at the large ovals. So those are kind of the top tier drivers we want to look for. Okay, the drivers in the middle of the NASCAR field, uh, who has caught your eye according to the key statistics? Yeah, uh, two drivers, I think uh, they're kind of towards the top, but they also kind of in some ways could straddle the middle. Um, they're borderline middle top. Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano both show up very well. Uh, the other Penske drivers there. A lot of it has been Blaney's performance this year, but even last year he he ended up pretty strong, and now he gets the equipment upgrade, and that's really showing up in the first four races this year. Joey Logano, we know the struggles he had last year, performing a lot better this year, and uh, you know at least in the last four races last year he showed much more improvement versus kind of the middle section of last year. So Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney kind of hover the line there. But uh, if you want to talk about a mid-tier driver that's showing up pretty interestingly, Alex Bowman. Um, if you, you know, you kind of run down the list there, Harvick, Tricks, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, Kozlowski, Blaney, Logano, Elliott, Larson, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, right after that tier of drivers, you've got Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman. So I really like Alex Bowman as a surprise. You know, he might be priced down there $7,700 this weekend. He's right up there in last eight driver rating, uh, for his last eight races. Of course, four of them have been this year. Four of them were in 2016, but, uh, Shows up very nicely, Alex Bowman does, and uh, so he hasn't fallen off too much. Um, I also mentioned Kurt Busch. That's a fine play for a driver who could be in the mid-8K range, but maybe instead we go with Clint Boyer, who will probably be cheaper than Kurt Busch again. Uh, Clint Boyer's right there next to Alex Bowman in terms of last eight driver rating. And then if we kind of narrow it down to just the large ovals, uh, you see that they still kind of stand out. Um, Alex Bowman you have to give a bit of a discount to because he uh, did not – he hasn't raced eight – large ovals for Hendrick. So um, his shows up a little lower than it should. So that also could make maybe the model give him a little bit less uh, of importance there, but it is dominance. So we're, we're less worried about, you know, Clint Boyers and Alex Bowman's because we talked large oval dominance and pretty much all of these guys beyond the top tier uh, don't dominate at the large ovals. So we're really focused on the last eight driver rating for most of these guys, which is why I like uh, Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer and Alex Bowman. Okay. Drivers, we might want to avoid at Auto Club. Yeah, so I went down that list of um, you know the last eight driver rating. Kyle Larson shows up pretty far down there. Um, Auto Club has been a good track for him, a very good track for him, just like Michigan has. He's got these two-mile ovals down, uh, and he does have a lap lead percent there. So he's one of those I think has a wide range of outcomes. He, he could either win this race or he could just stink up the joint kind of like he did last weekend at Phoenix. He led the first 50 or so laps and then his car was terrible. Anyway, he just happened to be starting right up front and, and took the lead from Truex. Uh, and then he fell back and finished in the mid teens. I think we have that type of a range of outcome for Kyle Larson. So I wouldn't say he's an avoid, but I think because of his track history here, he could be overowned relative to, Maybe what we'll see this year. He's also got the Chevy, and we know the Chevys could be a little bit behind there. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on this weekend. But what I'm really looking at is his teammate, Jamie McMurray. Uh, normally we've been talking about, especially last year, we are talking about how Jamie McMurray had a 90-point whatever, 90.4 driver rating at the large ovals. Uh, and then you know, starting this year, we go back uh, to the large ovals, and it was really good. Well, if you look at the last eight races, uh, just overall, which is the the thing that we're kind of keying on aside from practice and aside from large oval dominance, Jamie McMurray, only a 74 driver rating. Um, that puts him really far down there. And then look at Jimmy Johnson at 66.8 driver rating over the last eight races. That is 20th place. 
uh, sorry, 21st place for Jimmy Johnson there, like behind Paul Menard, behind Daniel Suarez, behind Ricky Stenhouse Jr., behind Almarola, Newman, Austin Dillon. Uh, so Jimmy Johnson and Jamie McMurray right now are two kind of mid-tier names that um, you know, at least the model will probably say are drivers we should be avoiding at this point in time until until either their price drastically changes or their performance changes. All right, so we have a question from Twitter. Uh, you often talk about garage talk and uh, like Twitter talk. So who are some of your top Twitter follows to uh, get information for race weekend about how drivers or crew chiefs are feeling about their vehicles? Yeah, so this is a really, really, it was a really great question when I um, kind of posed it on Twitter this morning. I said, uh, anybody have any any questions they want me to answer on air this week for the midweek show? So to prepare yourself for this weekend, um, here's a couple of names you should be following on Twitter. I think the first two will be pretty obvious, but the first is Jayski. So that is at J-A-Y-S-K-I, at Jayski. Uh, he, he tweets out you know everything during the weekend, who's gone to the back, what are the practice times, um, tweets out you know the PDFs of the single and 10 lap averages and stuff like that. Um, and just is, is immersed in the NASCAR industry. You won't get as much personality from him. He more just tweets like facts and stats. Bob Pockris is the next one. So uh, it's Bob P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. So um, Bob Pockris, he is uh, another just one of those guys who's immersed in NASCAR. That is his full-time job, and he's tweeting all the time, writing a bunch of stories You'll see a little more personality from him. He'll answer fan questions. Um, you know, what time is the green flag? Who's going to the back? He'll answer all those things. Why is the rule like this? And he'll answer it. You know, what was the decision with the penalty? All that stuff. So Bob Pockris, just a, a mind dump of information there um, and throughout the race weekend as well. You, what you won't probably get from Bob Pockris and from Jayski is who's the garage talk favorite? Who is the this? Who is the that? So you get a lot more facts and, and, and information from them that are, 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 like I said, factual. You'll probably get a little less opinionated things from them. Um, elsewhere, I think another several great followers, um, Chris Knight, who is actually a, a beat reporter at, Cat Fe- at Catch Fence. Um, he is is a very good personality to follow on Twitter. His uh, handle is Knighter01, K-N-I-G-H-T-E-R-0-1. Um, he'll talk uh, you know, he'll tweet out his articles. He'll tweet out information as well. Uh, there's plenty of others. Jeff Gluck, he's one who is much more opinionated. He is at Jeff, J-E-F-F underscore Gluck, G-L-U-C-K. Um, he'll definitely tweet out opinions. He tweets out fantasy uh, advice as well, um, free fantasy advice. And then uh, he uh, will give his opinion on different things as well. So Jeff Gluck, Chris Knight, uh, Nate Ryan. I mean, there's so many great NASCAR beat reporters. Jim Noble, Noble underscore Jim. I'm sure you guys can hear my dog in the background, but uh, he's uh, having a a bit of a a fit there. But, uh, yeah, those are a lot of the Twitter names I like to follow on race weekend. And, additionally, I like to follow the the drivers, the crew chiefs. Um, one One of the best crew chiefs to follow for information is Rodney Childers, who's Kevin Harvick's crew chief. Usually he'll say, this is the car to beat or not to beat. And then uh, finally, Daryl Waltrip occasionally, occasionally will tweet out uh, the practice times for the 5, 10, 15, 20 lap average. So Daryl Waltrip, a former NASCAR champion and and uh, series champion at all Waltrip, A-L-L-W-A-L-T-R-I-P. Your dog doesn't like that you're giving out all these Twitter handles. It's like, I why know. are you telling people yeah. who to follow? Yeah, exactly. But uh 
No, I mean, it, it's it's a great way to get information on the weekend is to follow all these different Twitter personalities and um, try to get bits and little, little nuggets of information here and there. And uh, one other that I think is – he doesn't like me. I was about to say one other, and he starts barking again. But it's uh, the NASCAR weatherman, NASCAR underscore WXMAN for any uh, weekend weather issues related to NASCAR. Okay. Uh, looking forward to the weekend, what is your content schedule for Auto Club? Yeah, so since I am not going to the race, it is going to be a normal content weekend. So uh, obviously on Friday, they'll have opening practice and they'll have qualifying. We'll do the show after qualifying. Uh, second practice and final practice on Saturday. And then, like I said, I'll get right to it with the article, uh, with the both articles, the, the one at Rotoviz and the one at the Action Network updating the apps um and like i did this past weekend i kind of had the apps pre-updated and i just had to input final practice times and uh that way it was really quick i think i had everything done within like 45 minutes of final practice um apps article and uh all of that good stuff so um usually it takes me between one to two hours but i had everything done in 45 minutes i kind of pre-prepped it i'm gonna do the same thing again this weekend because my wife is going to be out of town so got all this time in the world but uh yeah that's uh, that's my schedule this weekend. And then Rotoviz Live, three hours before lock, uh, 9.30 Pacific, 12.30 Eastern for Rotoviz Live. Okay. Dog Symphony, notwithstanding. Great show. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah, he, uh, he decided to freak out. I guess um, I think there's somebody uh, cleaning uh, in the, the yard next door or something, and he's uh, going bananas. So I'll have to go down and, and get him to shut up after this show. All right, that's going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter, at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.